Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we're talking about how you can brew a better content strategy through single sourcing. Hi, I'm Christine Cuellar. And I'm Bill Swallow. Hey, Bill. Thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks. So what I mean by brewing a better content strategy is that both Bill and I really love coffee. Right now, for both of us, we're recording at fairly early times in the morning. So actually, we're heavily reliant on coffee and other caffeinated sources to (laughs) enable this conversation. (laughs) Also, Bill, I know you like homebrewing beer. I like drinking beer. (laughs) I have no idea how to homebrew, but I do enjoy beer as well. So we just thought that beer, coffee, drinks in general actually have some good analogies for single sourcing which can be part of your content strategy. And it's something that's been coming up more and more in a lot of conversations with clients and people that are interested in content strategy. So we thought this would be a good topic for today. So Bill, I'm going to kick it over to you for our first really big picture question. First of all, what is single sourcing? What do we mean when we say that? All right. So in a nutshell, single sourcing is writing content once for multiple purposes. It's about as simple as you can get. I like that. It could be authoring centrally. It could be authoring you know, collectively in a group or centrally as a single person for a wide variety of publishing needs, whether it be for different audiences, different output types, or what have you. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So how does, what are some ways that single sourcing can start to mimic coffee, beer, any of that? Well, we could take the example of uh, multiple output formats. So traditionally with single sourcing, yeah, we've been doing that since I think the mid nineties. Okay. I remember working in Doctor Help back in I think it was nineteen ninety-six to produce online help and written manuals from the same source using a very high tech convention called RTF, which is Ooh. basically the backbone of Microsoft Word at the time. So that was fun. I had many nightmares. <laughs> about RTF coding. I solved problems in my dreams using RTF. Oh, it was, it was a scary time. That's when you know it's time. really stressful. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was essentially fully immersed, let's say that. Oh. <laughs> but in many ways, you know, to take the same analogy, it's, you know, you're producing a core set of stuff that needs to go to many different places. And it's a lot like, let's say a coffee roaster, since it's early in the morning and we want to talk about coffee. A coffee roaster is not going to sit there and roast a pound of beans, put it in a bag, and then send it off, and then roast a pound of beans, put it in a bag, send it off. Yeah, You know, they're going to roast a ton of beans, 10 tons of beans, however, you know, many that they can fit into their roaster and do it all at once couple of things that uh, allows them to do. One, it streams, streamlines the process and it speeds things up because now they have you know a wealth of product that they can then put in large bags for distribution to restaurants or cafes or what have you. Mm. They can put it in smaller bags and send it out to the grocery stores. Uh, they can do their online mail orders for coffee that way. Five pound bags, one pound bags, what have you. Or they can even grind it up themselves, put it in K-pods, and people can destroy the planet with those. Uh, I'm not a big fan of those (laughs) K-cups and pods. It also helps them create a 
a more homogenous product because mm. they're working at a very large scale yeah. and they're producing things in very large batches. So with all their beans together in one roaster, they are able to produce a very consistent product that yeah. way. Yeah, that's great. That's a great analogy. And that definitely makes a lot of sense. So when it comes to both coffee and beer, there's a, you know, the commercial option that you just outlined, which is really helpful. And there's also usually a DIY component. I mean, you can homebrew beer, you can homebrew coffee, of course, and do that in a bunch of different ways. Like it can just be your coffee pot, or you can get all fancy and do, you know, all the little like other fancy things you can do with it, all of which I've done. And they're all leaving my brain at this moment. French roast. Okay. That's one. Anyways, <laughs> it should have been more top of mind, but is that also an option for content? It can be. Okay. Looking at a commercial solution versus a DIY or do-it-yourself approach, it's it's not so much a question of which approach do you prefer to take because, I mean, I, yes, I'm, I'm a hobbyist when it comes to, to brewing beer, but, you know, I still... And and really, for the past 10 years, I stopped brewing because there were just so many high quality options on the market at that point. I'm like, why why am I spending my time doing this when I can just go to the store and pick up one of a thousand different types of beer? Yeah. But you really need to look at it from a, a standpoint of how much money do you have to spend mm -hmm. on a commercial product versus how much time and commitment do you have to doing yeah. it yourself? If you do it yourself... Yeah. The results can vary, but if you put the time and energy into it, you can produce some amazing results. But mm. there is always a hidden cost of time and labor. When yeah. I used to actively brew, I brewed with a buddy of mine and we would do it every Monday night. So we, he would either come to my place with his equipment or I would go to his place with my equipment. And from like six o'clock until about midnight, we would be either brewing beer, cleaning equipment, bottling beer. Mm doing whatever. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a commitment. I mean, it was a, a six hours a week and literally it was every week, you know, unless wow. we had something going on and we took a bye week we were doing that every single week because there is always something that needs to be done in the process. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big time commitment. And I like that you mentioned too, not only was there a big time commitment in actually brewing the beer, but also the cleanup, also the prep work. There's other factors that you don't think about that also are involved in the in doing it yourself. Is that also something that applies to you know single sourcing and content strategy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're a home brewer, you have to enjoy the monotony of cleaning. Uh, and it's the mm. same thing if you're doing it yourself with putting you know, together a publishing system and an authoring system that relies on, let's say, open source tools and a lot of human care and feeding. Hmm. You, know, you have to really enjoy the, the monotonous droning kind of day-to-day -day maintenance work. Hmm. You know, when you're brewing, it's, it, it literally is 90% cleaning, 10% brewing. Wow. Because, I mean, you start, you know, you have to have everything completely sanitized. And once you get the pot boiling, you know, it's it's doing its thing for about an hour. You know, you might mm -hmm. be adding pops here and there or some other flavoring agents, depending on the type of beer you're producing. But largely, you're, you're, you're just waiting for an hour. 
So while you're waiting, you're cleaning other stuff that you're going to need later in the process. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then you take five minutes to, to move to that next step. And then you have to wait for, you know, the beer to cool down. So then there's another round of cleaning. Okay. All the stuff that I use to make this batch of beer now gets, needs to get cleaned. And then you go to put it into the fermenter and now you have to clean everything else. And, Hmm. you know, the cycle just continues. It's the same thing with these, with a do-it-yourself approach. And it's not to say that it's wrong or that it's not ideal because you can learn quite a lot in a do-it-yourself environment, but it it does come at a cost. You know, you're going to spend, we know companies that have, you know, moved away from a do-it-yourself response because they had, you know, maybe two or three different people putting in half to almost full-time work on the publishing system and not on other facets of the company's core business or, you know, the writing or what have you. They were simply there to kind of keep everything working. And it just blows my mind that, you know, at a, on a scale where you have, you know, hundreds of writers contributing content that you are saying, okay, you three people are going to be solely responsible for keeping this thing up and running so that they can produce their content Wow! rather than having a system that's designed to keep itself up and running. Yeah. Would you say that it sounds like with with a DIY approach, it can work, but it has to be very intentional and you have to be very realistic, like you said, about the cost and the time that's involved. And I can see from like a coffee analogy, do companies, I guess, default or kind of slide into a DIY approach without really thinking about it? Because with coffee, I do enjoy attempting to make lattes and you know fun stuff with my espresso machine, which I have like a really crappy one right now, but it's really fun to play with. And I've practiced a lot with it. But still, the best cup that I make does not compare to like basically every one of our local coffee shops here. I would 100% enjoy their stuff more than what I make. It's just fun to play with. Mm-hmm. But it's not realistic for me to go and buy the best coffee every single day. So instead, I have a coffee machine and instead I brew stuff here at home, you know, every day for my <laughs> for my regular coffee addiction. And then when I want to be <laughs> fancy, I go to a coffee shop. But just, you know, I don't have the capacity to go somewhere else every single day. So that's kind of why the I'm just not really mm-hmm. thinking about it slid into a DIY approach. Is that also something that happens with companies that they kind of DIY until they realize there is a different way to do it? Yes and no. And the, the decision as to why a company might choose to do it themselves rather than purchase a a more packaged or commercial solution it really varies. Okay. You know, you have some companies that, yes, they started out small. They hired someone perhaps who had some serious technical chops and was able to put mm. put together something very, very, very slick. But, okay. you know, they were the only ones who really knew how it worked. And mm. as they hired more writers, you have varying degrees of capability and willingness to learn how this thing works. You know, so if, you know, for example, let's say they're, they're doing markdown and they have all of these, you know, different scripts that run and fire off and they produce, you know, all these different outputs. It's it's very, very slick. I've seen lots of implementations like that and that, you know, they're actually pretty cool. Hmm. But, you know, as you hire more people, you start getting into, why do I have to write in markdown? I, I always keep forgetting to use this character instead of this character when starting a bulleted list. Or I always forget to, you know, close off the end of, of my, um, 
my title or what have anything like that. You know, mm -hmm. why can't I use Microsoft Word? Why can't we move to just using HTML? Why can't we move to XML? Like, you know, yeah. you start getting a lot of that pushback. And the pushback may not be direct. So you have cases at that point where you have quality slips starting to make their way into the core content set. And mm -hmm. that's where things get a little hairy. But to go back to, you know, your, your analogy, you know, making coffee at home, there are plenty of really, really good uh, espresso machines out there that you can buy for home, but it will never compete with that, you know, $8,000 Italian espresso maker that your mm. cafe, you know, your choice, you know, cafe has in town. Yeah. You know, that they, they paid a ton of money for, and they've spent hours and hours and dollars and dollars to train their staff on how to appropriately use it and clean it to produce that same questionably, but perfect cup of coffee every single time. Yeah. You know, same thing with buying coffee, you know, buying beans or buying grounds. Hmm. People will laugh. I, I make the same um, comment about, you know, certain beer manufacturers, but, you know, you buy something like a Folgers. It's not, you know, in my opinion, it's not the world's best coffee. Yes. I just don't like, you know, what it tastes like. Yep. But every single time you buy a, they're not tins anymore, are they? I think they're more like plastic jugs of they've evolved coffee. yeah 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 but you know <laughs> yeah. you buy a you buy a jug of coffee and it's always going to be the same every single time and you can say the same yeah. thing about budweiser people may say oh budweiser it's you know why would you ever drink that it's horrible it's like yes but it is absolutely consistent you can buy a budweiser anywhere in the united states in the world open it up and it will taste exactly the same that's true yeah you know, there, there are really no differences there. And they spend a quite a lot of time and energy into ensuring that that product is consistent from every single batch that's made in every single location across the world, because they have breweries all across the world that produce this stuff, because it, shipping it from one location around the world is just not going to work. So all of these different locations have, you know, their equipment set up just the right way. Their chemists are working. Yes, chemists. Their chemists are working to make sure that the pH balance is perfect every step along the way as that beer is being produced. Hmm. You know, otherwise, if you're brewing yourself at home, you know, you, your equipment may vary. I've, I've put stuff together literally with duct tape and string. <laughs> I, made a, I made a shower head out of a nine-inch tinfoil pie pan. Because uh, wow. it was available, <laughs> yeah, it was available. Yep, mm -hmm. you know, to 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 uh, sparge or to clean my grain as it was uh, being run off, as the beer was being run through. Um, wow! Or you know, even if you roast your own beans at home, the level of quality is going to vary because you are yeah. likely using your your oven to do that roasting. And if you step away for a minute too long, or if you didn't get the temperature setting quite right. So if you don't have a digital temp temperature setting, or yeah. maybe your heating element is a little futzy. So sometimes it might be 310 degrees. Sometimes it might be 332. Who knows? Yeah. You know, there are lots of elements that can go wrong in a, in a do it yourself environment. Yeah, that's true. And like you mentioned earlier that, a lot of that comes down to 
the people, not only the equipment that you're using, but also the people, like, do they know what they're doing? Do they know why they're doing it? And especially as you introduce more people, like you mentioned, if it's you and your buddy that are brewing beer together, that's another person that's been added. And, you know, in a scenario where one person's not as interested or, or, you know, just doesn't know as much about the process that can really change things and, and vice versa. Like if you have two people that both really know what they're doing and both really enjoy it, that can lead to a really good outcome. Uh, it can vary because yes, we both knew exactly what we were doing, but you know, you, you start biting heads. I want to do it this way. No, I want to do it this way. If we do it this way, you're going to get this result. Ah, I don't believe you. I think if we do it this way, we'll get this result. And yeah, Uh, we've had, you know, we, we actually tried it and tried two different techniques of brewing the same beer and they came out very, very different. So, Mm. you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But yeah, it all comes down to that quality control element, Mm -hmm. you know? And generally, when you have a bigger commercial system, you can kind of get there a lot quicker. Now, it's not going to do everything for you, yeah. but uh, it's got the pieces already laid out and it's got some recommended workflows and processes for using that system to produce consistent results. Hmm. Whereas with a do-it-yourself, you're kind of left at your own devices and how well you document your stuff and how well you regulate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Which in and of itself is another time commitment. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about consistency, which is a really important element of this, but also personalization is another important value that you can get out of single sourcing. So let's say if we put it in our coffee or beer analogy, let's say you're personalizing your packaging for, you know, different restaurants and different cafes or whatever. How how does single sourcing make that more effective or what does that look like? Well, at the core of it, if like for example, if you're if you're putting stuff out to cafes and restaurants, you're typically not going to use the same level of pomp and flash on your branding yeah. and packaging that you would if it was going to a grocery store. Yeah. You know, because you want you want that product to pop off the shelf in the grocery store uh, and catch people's eyes. Whereas at the uh, restaurants and so forth, you know, as long as the logos on the bag so they know they got the right thing, it's, it's usually just a, a pretty nondescript bag with a description of, you know, what's inside it. But, you know, in the end of the day, I mean, you're not producing different product for the same, uh, you know, for these different groups. You're producing the same product that's going out to many different people, mm-hmm. depending on who it needs to go to. So, you know, you may have one conveyor belt that takes the beans down to where they dump them into 25 pound bags or 50 pound bags. And then you have this other conveyor belt that goes off and does the one pounders. And so it's really streamlining from that. You've spent the time to build this, I guess, uh, storage heap of beans (laughs) that you then (laughs) are distributing to many different people. So at that point, you're taking from that same source and you're just, you know, you're partitioning it off as as you need to for multiple different consumers. Same thing with single sourcing. I mean, you have a core collective of content that ideally is all written in the same tone and voice aside from all the mechanics of, of how content gets produced, it needs to be written in the same tone and voice to be able to blend and remix and be able to send it out to different audiences so that it doesn't sound like, you know, eight different people, even though eight different people may have written the content, it doesn't sound Mm. like eight different people wrote different parts of whatever it is you're delivering. It's a little jarring to go from, 
one style of writing to another within the same paragraph or within the same chapter of a book or, you know, series of topics in an online help system. It It can get very distracting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in that case, you do need uh, some attention toward how all these people are developing the content and what tone and voice they're using. But aside from that, with regard to packing your, you know, packaging your output, from a content standpoint, you have things like templates that drive the look and feel of what the various outputs are going to look like. So templates or, you know, style sheets or, or what have you to produce these things. But also behind the scenes, you have other conventions such as variables, conditions, perhaps you're leveraging some form of reuse so that you can kind of mix and match your content, turn things on and off depending on, oh, this is going out to a uh, advanced user or this is going out for our this is going out for our premium product and this one's mm-hmm. going out for our base level product and base level product has features a b and c but our premium has features d and e also tacked on <laughs> that type of thing so you're you're not rewriting content for these many different outputs but rather you are pulling from a single managed source of content and mixing and remixing and turning things on and off to produce that desired result yeah absolutely And then, so taking that a step further, when it's time to start selling your coffee or selling your beer in a location in a different country or a different region, what happens then in that localization process? I mean, I'm assuming all of that is involved plus, plus more. Oh, plus more, because then you have, you know, you have language on the packaging and so forth that needs to change. Yeah. More importantly, with, with any kind of food-based product and particularly with alcohol, there are different rules that govern yeah. How things can be sold, what you can say, what you can't say on the packaging. You know, there's we're pretty we're pretty loosey goosey here in the United States where you can say anything. You know, you can you can put out a package that is the same size product and say now twenty percent more. And oh, you look, you, it, you know, it's it was a sixteen ounce box before. It's a sixteen <laughs> ounce box now, but now it says twenty percent more. Maybe they you know, meant 20%, air, 20% more air. <laughs> I, I guess, I guess. But, you know, you start going overseas and, you know, the nutrition labels need to change. Mm. You need to, you know, you have you have to take very different stances when you're listing ingredients. There are certain claims you can and cannot make on the packaging mm. and in the advertising. And when it comes to alcohol, particularly, there are different rules that govern what can go into it that can be then passed off to a Mm. consumer and what you have to disclose and what you can't disclose. And I I, I go back to, you know, one of these things, and it's not so much a governing rule anymore as far as how strict it is, but there's the Reinheitsgebot. I hope I am pronouncing that right, but it's the, basically the German purity rule for beer. And it basically governs and says that beer can only be made of three components, water, barley, and hops. And they omitted yeast, even though yeast is what does the fermenting process, because at the mm. time they created the law, they didn't really know about it. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, essentially those four ingredients are the only things that can go into beer for Germany. Wow. Not so much a rule anymore, but it's, it, it's an example of, you know, if you were to produce something and call it something, yeah, so if you were to produce beer and call it beer, but you're making beer with barley and corn and rice, you know, hmm. so something that let's say Budweiser does, would that technically be beer? Hmm. Maybe not in, in Germany. So what do you call it? How do you how do you package it? Can you sell it? 
Hmm. You know, it, again, it's not so much not so much a thing anymore. More, it's more of a historic note, but yeah. it, it kind of shows the differences in in what you can do and what you can say in different countries. Likewise, when you go to different, when you publish for different locales, you have you know not not only different languages, but you have different fonts that you have to consider, different complete character sets. Mm-hmm. There's more the the Latin character set that we use throughout the United States and throughout uh, Western Europe. But you start going more into Eastern Europe and you start getting into needing to use the Cyrillic alphabet. Yeah. Certainly you move into Asia and now you're starting to look into, oh, I'm going to need you know a, a completely different character set, double mm-hmm. white character set to put these things together. And you know, in some places, you're going to have to change the complete layout of your uh, content as mm. it gets published because you know certain languages they they go from right to left not left to right so yeah that's that's a complete different change and you know a lot of that you hopefully are baking into the infrastructure that you are driving your content production with and not doing this by hand every time you need to send something out yeah i can't even imagine yeah that would be a lot so for organizations that, you know, may not have adopted this single sourcing approach yet, what are some either factors or like pain points or experiences they may be having that signal, hey, maybe it's time to start thinking about this? How would you sum up those indicators? I think the biggest indicator is that you have a very overworked team of people Hmm. who are spending their time on everything but their core job. Hmm. You know, so their core yeah. job should be producing content, you know, developing content. It should not be formatting and reformatting content to produce it. it. Certainly should not be copying and pasting content from one place to another and then making sure that any change to that copy and pasted content is reflected in the two or eight or 16 or 150 different places they pasted it into last time. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of busy work. And, you know, a lot of things that I hear, especially from small teams, is that they reach a point where they are so busy and making Mm. so little progress on new content development because they Mm. are spending all their time prepping for publishing, prepping for publishing. You know, prepping for publishing literally should be Content is done. Hmm. And that should yeah. be your prep for publishing. It shouldn't be, okay, now let's apply this template and let's reformat everything. And now let's send it off to the translator. And oh, we got it back. Okay, now we have to reformat it yeah. so that it fits in this language because German is now eight pages instead of five. You yeah. know, it shouldn't be fixing these things. That those are things that really should be handled automatically. And, you know, allow the content developers to do what they were hired to do, yeah. which is develop the content. Exactly. Yeah. Allow them to be able to do what not only you hired them to do, but I'm thinking that they're more passionate about. That's where their passion is. That's why they're here. I could see that being very discouraging if you're passionate about the content and you spend almost all your time on formatting and other stuff. That sounds awful. And it would be discouraging and I'm assuming lead to burnout, lead to, you know, high turnover because you're not getting to do what you want. You want to write content. Although some people do thrive in that environment and they love that. They love the fiddly bits, you know, and, you know, you're not going to make them happy by taking that away. 
But then yeah. again, it's like, you know, uh, as you know, your, your company is growing, you're producing more stuff. You need to produce more content. You need to do it quicker. You need yeah. to do it at a higher quality. You know, you're, you're publishing at a higher volume. You're adding more languages, you know, at that point, it's like, do I keep that person happy <laughs> or, yeah, or do I yeah. focus on what we need to get done? Yeah. Yeah. Fair. And maybe they can have some say, or you can include them in what's, what the big vision is. But yeah, like you said, that you can't always just make one person happy with the system. There's all these other people that may also not be happy because of, you know, not mm-hmm. having an efficient process and a way to pump out a lot of content at scale in a way that's, you know, still quality, still consistent. Yeah. And and there is a risk there as well, because those who put together DIY approach, mm-hmm. They may love that, you know, yeah. I mean, that that's something that they built from the ground up. That's their baby. And you're taking yeah, their baby sense. away. That can lead to some some big problems. You know, yeah. either you lose that person who has all the publishing knowledge, even though you may be transitioning away from that system, they kind of know how mm. it was set up and they yeah. know they know where the, you know, I hate to use the analogy, but they know where the bodies are buried in their infrastructure, <laughs> you know, and yeah. what made it tick, yeah. you know, yeah. and you don't want to lose that knowledge. Uh, instead, you want to try to hopefully work with them to, you know, stand up the new one and yeah. give them some governance over how that runs. That might be an approach. But, yeah. You know, it does get tricky. Yeah, it makes sense because because at the end of the day, it's still about people. The people on the team that are creating the content, it's still about them. It's still about the people at the other end of the screen or book or whatever, you know, whatever kind of content you're writing. Yeah. It's still about people and people are complicated. (laughs) (laughs) That's putting it lightly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's my deep wisdom for the day. That's, that's what comes from five cups of coffee in the morning. On that note, I think we have exhausted every part of this beverage analogy for for single sourcing and content strategy, but it was really helpful even for me to hear. I mean, I knew some of this, but there was a lot of this that I hadn't thought of in terms of, you know, something very tangible like drinking coffee or drinking beer. So thanks, Bill, for exploring this with me. I also just love talking about coffee anytime it's possible. So yeah, (laughs) it's great. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for listening to the content strategy experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.